Welcome to Bear Creek AG's online service podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in with us today. We upload a new service every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. So we look forward to having you tune in with us again. Here's today's message. Oh, if you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Well, Today is Father's Day, and to give our dads a break, I am not preaching on fathers today. I usually don't preach on fathers, uh, just simply because I usually don't preach on mothers on Mother's Day because of the fact that I, I find that we just have the tendency to beat up moms and beat up dads. But I will tell you this, in light of the new message series God has led me on last week, you may feel beat up when you get done with this message today. But I don't want that to be a beat up message. Today, message, I hope it encourages you and challenges you as the Spirit spoke earlier through the through the gifts in operation, it's time that we draw a sand in the line and we decide that we're no longer going to be the way we were and that we start growing in the Lord. What did I say? Sand in the line, line in the sand. Listen, I have a learning disability. All right? My learning disability is my tongue gets in the way all the time. All right? Why do I have such big feet? To fill my mouth. All right. Draw a line in the sand. There we go. And so we began this series last week called This is the Way. And of course, for any of y'all are Mandalorian fans, you know that. I'm not going into that introduction. The message, if you weren't here last Sunday, I don't always say this. It's worth going back and listening to. Okay? It really is. It sets the tone for this whole message series. But this is the way. And in light of the statistics that I showed you last week, my heart is breaking. Just look at these statistics again, if you would. If you could put those up there for me, Daniel. I want you to look at these statistics. I'm not going to show these every week, but there will be posters going up because this is, this is an aha moment. Of you all fall into the generation of 65 and older. 65% of your generation has a biblical worldview, which means that you live your life through the Word of God. Whatever the Word says in regards to something in your life, you, you, you live by the Word of God. But as you go down, their children, which is Gen X, and I know that these, these dates, like I said last week, don't get turned or confused with the dates. It depends on which source you're looking at. They're going to be all close. But Gen X, which is 65 through uh, 1980... 33% live with that same view. I want you to grasp that. Half of the previous generation. And now you're going to notice that the generational gap is getting closer. They're not as many years because what designates a generation is a way of thinking, For to put it simply. I won't go into the technical term. But basically it's the way of thinking. It's a generation, the way they think, how they do. And so the next generation, Gen Y or millennials, from 81 to 98, 19%. Notice it's almost half again. And now we're to Gen Z, which is basically 8 years to 20 years old. 4% now live from the concept that what the Word of God says is how I'm going to live my life. So that means, depending on which generation you fall into, those that fall in my generation, that means one out of every three in here live according to the Word of God, if we could use that statistic. Obviously, it may be higher, maybe less. I don't know. For those that fall within Gen Y, in the room today, only 19%, so about one out of every five, live from a biblical worldview. You, look at the, you don't look at the Bible through the, through the lens of the world. You look at the world through the lens of the Bible. 
biblical worldview. I don't know about you, but those statistics just, it slapped me in the head. I've had a rough couple weeks. It's been bad because I'm heartbroken. What that tells us is this. And I know you're saying Father's Day. Pastor, why are you be? We just got to realize this. We have failed to hand our faith off to our kids. We, we failed somewhere. Now, I know you, you know, I, I look at my own life. I look at the fact that I have a son who's 28, uh, who's in ministry. I have a son who's 20, just turned 20 last week. Um, and he's still working out what he's going to do with his life. But they both live for God. They're both committed to God. But only time will really tell. Their mother may come out at one of them. We don't know. They may not live for God the rest of their life, right? I had a light in the mood. You guys are serious. You're really serious here this morning. But the reality is we don't know. I hope, I hope as a dad, as the high priest of my home, I've done well. But when I look at these statistics, it scares me. And, this, and here's the thing, and I, I need to say this up front because there's a lot of you that weren't here last week. This is not a church problem. Don't blame this on your youth pastor, your children's pastor, your senior pastors, your seniors pastor. We get your kids at best an hour and a half a week. That's not knocking you. I'm not, that's not, I'm not, I'm just saying, when you consider how much time I get them, we get them, how much time you get them, and how much time the world gets them, this is not a leadership issue outside the, in, in the church, outside the home. This is a home issue. See, this is a family issue. If you're going to allow your kids, and you, they have to go to school, if you send them to public school, I'm not against public school. My wife, that's her mission field. So hear me. But listen, if you're going to let them go play ball, you're going to let them be in dance, you're going to let them do anything outside your house, your home, within your home, you better be teaching them and living out what the Bible says about life because the world is doing everything it can to undermine that. Who's in charge of this world? God's not... God, we give God... Control, he's in control, but he said, hey, this world is under the dominion of Satan. Let's face it, the enemy's out there to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, but I came to give you life. But the only way Jesus could give you life is that you have to receive him as Lord and Savior, and then you have to become what we're going to talk about today, become his disciple. See, it's about walking with Jesus. And I'm getting way ahead of myself, but I'm going to try to cut some of this out so we get out at 12 o'clock. we got some people to dunk still. I'm excited about that. And so last week, we looked at this whole series, This is the Way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through me. There's not multiple ways to God. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died and rose again. We have to understand that. The world is telling us all different ways. Just be a good person. Oh, do this or do that. Look this way. Go here. Go there. And you No, I'm here to tell you there's only one way to God the Father. There's only one way to enter through heaven and the word says jesus said that the road is narrow and the gate is small but if you make it guess what you have you have life but the offer direction is the is wide and it leads to destruction see and so we have to we have to we have to wrestle with 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 those statistics that's okay leave it there we have to wrestle with that a little bit today i want you to wrestle with that if you're a parent that's it this isn't about parenting this is about us being the church not this building but the individuals that make up the body of christ and how we live out our faith every day in front of a world who's looking for an answer who they want to go to heaven you ask anybody do you want to go to hell nobody wants to go to hell we have the answer this is the way. This is the way. 
So we began this journey. We looked at the baptism of Jesus last week. And just basically you could go listen to the message. We said for Jesus, water baptism was, it was an initiation into his new life. He wasn't lost. He wasn't unsaved. Jesus was fully saved. Why did he get baptized? Because it was an announcement to the world that the Lamb of God had shown up and he had surrendered his life to the will of his Father. He was initiated into a new life. What was that new life? The will of his Father. Doing the ministry that his Father had called him to do. And we don't know all that Jesus struggled with in giving that, giving himself to God, but we get a glimpse of it. He spent a lot of time in prayer because it was tough. And we really see a glimpse of it in the garden the night that he was betrayed because he didn't want to follow through with God's plans for his life. He said, not my will, thine be done, Father. See? And that's what water baptism was. And today, we're going to pick it up from there and we're going to look at, 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 at the next step in this walk. Once you receive Christ as Lord and Savior and you've been baptized, initiated into your new life because that's what it means when you're water. These that were baptized today, they're, today, it, what they did today was what's already happened. It's just a demonstration of what already happened in their life when they received Christ. Some of them have been saved for a while but just now really understood what water baptism is. Some of these folks today are rededicating their life to the Lord because they walked away Away from that relationship and felt compelled to once again say, I am following in the way of Jesus. But it's just an initiation saying, I'm no longer living my old life. I now identify with the death of Jesus. I say no to my will, my flesh, and I identify with the resurrection of Jesus. I'm alive and well today and will live forever with Jesus in heaven. See. And so today we're going to be looking at what it means to be a disciple. Because whether you know it or not, the day you said yes to Jesus is the day you said yes to being a disciple. The problem with that is we don't fully understand what that word means. Okay? Because of culture, what we've been taught, what's been demonstrated before us by the statistics we showed you, but also just by nature. So the word disciple literally means student. I want you to grasp that for a minute. If you're a disciple, it means you're a student of the one that you sit up under, the one who is the teacher, who is the rabbi, as, as Jesus was called. When I became a follower of Jesus, I literally became a student of his life. I, I want to emulate him. See, I, I, I want to be like him. Because why? His way is the way. The challenge we have in understanding this is that we think of student from a cultural perspective. For us today to be a student means what? We go into a classroom, similar like today. We sit down underneath a teacher. The teacher then goes up on the blackboard and says, one plus one equals two. All right, let's move it up a little bit. I'm thinking X squared plus Y squared equals Z squared. Boy, y'all didn't take math, did you? Pi R. No, pies are always round. You've never seen a square of pie. Right. We sit in a classroom, and what we do is we take in information for the purpose of being tested to see if we pass the test. But that's not what disciple means in the New Testament. When we look at this, well, let's just go, let's just go to Scripture here. In John 1, we're going to read where Jesus starts to call his disciples. He has been baptized in water. He has been led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting and praying, preparing for the life that God had called him to. Now he shows up and he's going to encounter the same guy who just baptized him, well, we'll say 50, 40, 50 days before. We don't know how long after he came out of the wilderness. But we know it's the same one as John the Baptist. Let's read there in verse 35 of John 1. Do you have your Bibles, by the way? I hope you do, because we're not going to put these on the board today. Too many of them. Ready? Here we go. 
The next day again, John was standing. This is John the Baptist with two of his disciples. So we have two guys who are underneath John the Baptist's teaching. They're following him around. Get that key. They're following him around. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Remember last week we said John the Baptist, his whole purpose was to point people to Jesus. So that's what he's doing. He's saying Jesus is walking back. Hey, this is the Lamb of God. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, Key, what are you seeking? What are you seeking? He said to them, excuse me, what are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they're not going to ask what they're seeking. They just want to see where he's staying. And he said to them, come and see, or come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So they stayed with him that day. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, so now... Andrew's gone out and found his brother Simon. This is what he said. We have found the Messiah, which means Christ, the anointed one. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or rock. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So they're all homeboys. Probably played on the same soccer team because they didn't have football like we do back then. And Philip found Moses in the law. He killed, excuse me. <laughs> Philip found Nathaniel, said to him. So he found Philip, called. Philip followed. Philip goes find Nathaniel, says to him, We have found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus is Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So what we have here, what we just read, is the first introduction of four of the disciples of Jesus. Now, you know of Peter, because if you know anything about the life of Peter, later on Jesus will show up on the shore, and he'll be teaching the multitude will be so great that he says, hey, cast your boat out and let me preach from it. This is prior. This is where Peter is first introduced to Jesus. That comes a little bit later in the timeline. So at that point, when Peter gets out on the boat, when Jesus comes and says, cast out to the deep, we're just saying, take me to the deep, right? He had already been introduced to Jesus. He knew of him. But from there, he says, come follow me. But this is where he's introduced to, to Jesus. And this is four of the disciples that were introduced. And Jesus, and Jesus is calling them to follow him. From this first encounter, there's quite a bit that we can learn. I'm going to try to keep it brief uh, because your, parent, your kids are going to take you out for a 16-ounce T-bone steak today for lunch. I don't, I don't, but I want you hungry, too. I want you hungry. So we, I know you ate breakfast. So let's, let's see where we go, okay? So we're going to learn a little bit here this morning. For instance, it is interesting that Jesus asked the first two, what are you seeking? This is important for us to understand today uh, as we're introduced to Jesus. If you've never been introduced to Jesus, if you've never received Jesus as Lord, and if you have, you have to come to the conclusion, what are you looking for with a relationship with Jesus? Because what you're looking for, you may not actually get. It all depends on what you are looking for in this relationship, okay? Some of us come to the Lord because we're looking for joy, 
Some of us come to the Lord because we're looking for happiness. Some of us are looking for meaning, some purpose. Some of us were looking for pleasure, popularity. We want our needs met. We want direction. Some of us are hurting and we come to Jesus because nothing else we've tried has killed the pain or taken away the pain or given us the direction that we're looking for. There are all kinds of things you could be seeking when you come to Jesus. Their answer was this. They wanted to see what Jesus was all about. They wanted to go and not just see where Jesus is camping. This isn't about where are you staying, Lord? We want to go make s'mores with you or roast a hot dog with you. No, it's more like, hey, what are you seeking for? Well, we don't know if we can really say right here, whether it was because it was in public or they were on sir. Sure, we're not, we're not, but they said, where are you staying? The reason for that is they wanted to go where Jesus, because they wanted to see what Jesus was all about. They had been taught by John that the Messiah was coming. John had said that they were the Messiah. They were questioning, is he really who he says he is? Okay, John, we've been following you for a while. Okay, we get it. You've been telling us about it. But is this really the Messiah? Is is he really who you say he is? Let's go see what his life is all about. And what does Jesus say? Come on. Come and see. Come see for yourself who I am and what a life with me is all about. They were looking for answers, and Jesus extended an invitation to get to know him more to go deeper, to grow closer, come and see. It's an invitation. Discipleship is a process. This is something I've struggled with as a pastor. Uh, To use it in secular terms, my job, my career, is about pastoring. What does that mean? We know the great commandment is, or the the great commission is, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Those who are saved, baptized. So it's to reach the lost and make disciples. That's an odd word of saying it, make it. But that's what the Greek means when he says it. Make, build disciples as you would Legos. Or for some of you in here, um, uh, what are the little Lincoln logs? Brother Ben, for you is Lincoln logs, okay? <laughs> I had to pick on him. Yeah, that was a ha-ha-ha. What is, what is that? What is that? What is, what is that? If the statistics are accurate, and even if they're off a little bit, they're still alarming, we're failing to make disciples. If only 4% of the age 20 to 8 years old is seeing the world through the biblical worldview, now granted, we, we know that those who are under 18, the aliens haven't brought their brains back. We know that. Something happens when they get 8, 9, 10, the aliens come and suck their brains out, Right? But the reality of it is, is what does, what does that mean? I just, can, I just take, can I just step away from this and just share a pastor's heart for a minute? What, what does it mean to make a disciple? Well, pastor, you're the one that's got letters after your name and went to all, pay all that money to go to school, get a higher education. Yeah, I'm, I'm educated and I can't seem to get my words in right order, can I, right? What does that mean? I struggle with this. Because the reality of it is, is when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you're entering into a discipleship relationship. There's, there's no option with that. So when, when do you stop being a disciple? And the answer to that, never. But what is an indicator? What is an indicator of someone who is being discipled? I struggle with that. How do you know... How do I know I've been successful as a discipler? How do I know that you're being successful as a disciple of Christ? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I hope you're not emulating me. Obviously, you're not because you're not wearing Alabama garb or New York, right? 
And so I struggle with this. And I have been on a journey, for, well, before the storm hit, pre-Michael. And the storm just really, and COVID just kind of messed things up. And I've really just re-engaged what does it mean to be a disciple? Because Jesus, what to me, as I look at discipleship, it's, a, it's about a growing relationship in the Lord. It's about becoming more like Jesus. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus, He invites you to take one step further in that relationship with Him. Every day is another step closer to Him. It's a process. The moment I received Jesus as my Lord, He began a process of getting, I began a process. He pulled me closer into a relationship. He said to me when I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, when I was nine, years old he said come and see as much as I was an immature kid he at my level whatever level that was he he said come and 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 see what I'm about because I can be what you need I'm what you need actually if you'll just come and follow me see when I was born I was born a person but every day I'm growing into a person Forty-something years ago, I began to be, I began following Jesus, but daily I'm growing as a follower. The process never stops. There's still so much about me that can become like him. I, guys, you guys got that number line up there, Daniel? Can you put that number line up there for me? I've used this before, and it's been a while. Because I started studying what does it mean to be a disciple. It's, it's daily walking with the Lord, but growing closer to the Lord. I've heard other people use this. I didn't originate this, but I, I just want you to grasp this. If, if, zero, if zero is the point of salvation, and negative five is being as far away from God as you can be, and positive five is being as close or like Jesus as you can be, it, it's a number line. It, it, it's a process. It's a process. Discipleship obviously begins here. Now, as a person who reaches people for Christ, I would say if you're unsaved today, all I want you to do is help you grow one step closer to God. You may not receive Jesus yet, but I want to introduce you to him with my life. That's being a disciple, how I act. My kids, at one point, they didn't know Jesus. How did they get to know Jesus? By looking at how... My wife and I lived our life, and we did bring them to church, and we prayed with them, and we read to them, and those kind of things. But the reality is, sooner or later, we all hopefully get to here where we're saved, but we're not really like Jesus yet. And it's, it's one, all I want, every day is just getting closer and closer. And I forgive my simplistic mind, but I like to see pictures, and to me, I can see that. And, and that's what it means. Jesus, what Jesus is doing, he's saying, listen, Come and see, follow me, and every day he just wants to take us one step farther with him, one step closer to him, to develop and become more like him. Now, that's a churchy way of saying things. It just means that you start living your life according to his word, and your life becomes his life. He's always inviting us one step further in our relationship with him. When Jesus invited them to come and see, it wasn't an invitation to come camp out. It was to come and do life. See if I'm not who I say I am. You know, I think someone needs to hear that today. You may be a believer and been following Christ for a while. But doubt slipped in. Maybe life has been confusing to you. Maybe it hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. Maybe he, he led you to do something and it hasn't worked out and you're confused. I'm here to tell you that come and see. Get, take that one step closer and commune with him. 
Camp out with him a little bit. See what life is all about with him. Come and seek a closer walk with me. Now, the interesting thing about these disciples, all the disciples, over in Matthew 4, Jesus invites them to leave their boats and follow him. I mentioned that. And they take another step. And over the next three years of their lives, Jesus will call them to take step after step after step after step with them. He will teach them about how to care for others. He will. He'll, he'll emulate that. He'll teach them how to care for others through laying on hands and praying for them, seeing them healed. He'll teach them how to care for others and, and the fact that he will take food, a couple of fish and bread, and, and feed the multitudes. He, he'll show them that it's their responsibility to take care of people. He will teach them about what is most important in life. It's, it's not about my career. It's not about my wants, my likes, my dislikes. It, it's none of that. It's, it's about souls. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about living my life for him, or better yet, let him live his life through me to fulfill all the plans that he has. We like those scriptures, don't we? We like over in Jeremiah where it says that he has plans for you, plans to bless you, to keep you, not to harm you, to give you hope. We love that, but what we fail to understand is for that to happen, we have to surrender our lives to him and live according to his word. Discipleship. Discipleship. He will teach them how to have power over demons. Demonic spirits. He will teach them how to teach and share their message. He will teach them how to face trouble when it comes. Eventually they will have to make the decision whether they will bear their cross or not. Whether they'll lay down their lives for or not. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit on, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, they, they had made their decisions that every one of them but one would lose their lives as a martyred life for the cause of Christ. And even John would live on Patmos on an island solitude see it came to the point they were going to lay down their life why they came and saw and they lived every day with jesus see jesus invitation to come and see is an open invitation to everybody but when you say yes to him and start following him he also invites you to come and to die and that's where we have our problems the, the, the failure in discipleship is our ability to surrender our lives fully to him That's where we get the stats. That's where we get the statistics. See? The Bible says this, but you know what? I, yeah, okay, the Bible says it. But does it really say it? That's big today in the church. It's called meology. Meology is a term. Meology says that I'm going to interpret the scriptures as it benefits me. That's big. That's big in the church today. And I would challenge you to go back to the original language of the Old Testament and New Testament and see what God really meant by the writers of those books and even the ones that Jesus spoke himself. They're red, by the way, most Bibles. See? It's not about, it's not me. If, if, if the Bible says I shouldn't lie, I better not be lying. And there's no colors to lies. If it says I shouldn't steal, and I know you're saying, well, you're being legalistic, Pastor. I, I, I'm a disciple. That means all those church pens you have in your purse, ladies, you've stolen from God's house, all right? <laughs> Return them. Forgiveness is here. I'm having fun, but you, understand, you see what I'm talking about. It's, it's, it's no longer interpreted where I'm at. See, do you, do you know, um, oh, gosh, do, do you, what's the word I'm looking for? My integrity. Thank you. Integrity. They say what integrity is is what you do when nobody's watching. If it's wrong for your kids to say something, you better not be saying it. 
We have allowed the culture of our world to influence our homes and our church. We're no longer influencing our culture. Culture is influencing our church. How's it doing it? It's affecting it in your home, and you're bringing it to church with you. And when I preach messages, it offends you, and it better offends you, because every time God speaks to me, it offends me. But you go home, and you have to decide, just like that parable I preached several weeks ago about the seed, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. Are you going to let the birds come in and steal the seed? Ah, that's not for me. That was for my neighbor. I know what he's been doing. Are you going to take, I, I know it sounds like I'm all over the page this morning, but I need you, I have to get something off my chest today. It's about walking in relationship with Jesus. It's not about coming on Sunday morning and just raising my hands and having a relationship with him for an hour and a half and then going back and living like the world. We are set apart. We have been, we are vessels that have been sanctified. That means set apart for his purpose, his use. We give up our lives when we take Jesus on as our Savior and we walk according to him, along with him. Three years later, they'd risk everything to spread the message, defend the message that Jesus died and rose again. Because why? They came and saw. They came and saw. This is not a close, so y'all are taking notes. Don't start right now. This is close, but I'm going to very quickly give you four things that are characteristics of a disciple. They're very brief, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to dunk some folks in water this morning. Four characteristics of a disciple. These are very basic. There's more, but this is where it begins. A disciple walks in close fellowship with the teacher. Close fellowship with the teacher. In our culture, you don't even have to know the teacher you're learning under. Look in here. There's no way all of you can get to know me. we got a great crowd. Of course, we've had a great crowd the last six weeks. Praise God. Praise God. It's not about, listen, it's not about the numbers, it's about the ministry. But God ordered your steps, thank God, because we need to be here. We need to come together. But you can't get to know me in an environment like this. And that's the culture today. We have to realize it's about getting in close fellowship with Jesus. Jesus wants to teach you in that close relationship. His method of teaching you is not through lectures. He taught his disciples, but then he went out and he demonstrated. I wish I could have been in the inner circle and heard some of the the conversations. I imagine Jesus would go up and, and say, now this is how you lay on hands. First of all, make sure you get your hand sanitizer. No, I'm joking. Do sanitize up. But yeah, he taught them. And, dim- and then he says, now let's go. And eventually he got to the point, and I'm get- I mean, this is all over the place. But then he eventually got to the point where he says, I'm going to trust you to go out two by two, and you try it. You try it. And remember they said, man, great things happen, right? Man, we saw he says, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Because why? He emulated, he walked with them, he demonstrated for them. That's what this world needs. This world knows what we aren't for. Do they know what we are for? Walk in that close relationship with Jesus every day. A disciple listens to the words of the teacher as well. It's not just about being close to Jesus, but it's also about listening to what he says. What he says, uh, you'll find as you listen to the Lord, you listen to the word, you're going to find that he is so much opposite than the way the world is. I mean, it's like night and day. He challenges us as his disciples in ways that we, we, we may not even make sense to us at times. I, I just think of what Jesus does. and I mean, 
he just doesn't do things that make sense to us because his ways are not our ways, but it's so contrary. So we have to listen. He challenges us in ways that don't make a match up with the way we were raised. I think statistics show that. He challenges us in ways that don't line up with culture. He challenges us to give, to give up your personal freedom to help others. Why don't you think about that? Give up your personal freedoms to help others others. He'll challenge you to forgive when someone has done something very grave to you. I can look out here and I I imagine probably 50% of this congregation, you have some offense against somebody that's hurt you and you're hanging on to it. The number's probably greater than that. And what he says is forgive. So contrary to to the way the world is. The world would say, no, you, you got rights. You go and you have right to get revenge and do this. And Jesus says, no, you give up your rights. Challenge you to treat others differently than they're treating you. He'll challenge you to go the extra mile for people who don't deserve it. He'll challenge you to love people who really aren't that lovable. But that's a disciple. If he'll love me, how can I not love you? How can I not love the world? I don't agree with the world. But I have to love the world. See? I'll keep going. The next thing that a disciple does is he or she follows the patterns of the life of the teacher. In other words, it's not just what Jesus said, but what he does and how he does it. You know, when you look at the life of Jesus and how often he prayed, he had to pray, see? When you look at how he he demonstrated his love, or he laid down his life. He, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. That's the life of a disciple. Serving. Serving. Serving your wife, serving your children, serving your husbands, serving the church, serving your co-workers, serving your neighbor, serving the person who's broke down on the side of the road. Serving. It's just serving. It's putting the love of God on demonstration. Why? Because that's what Jesus would have done. I think we need to get back to that. We wore it out and the world laughed at us. But WWJD, what would Jesus do? I'm faced with an opportunity here to undermine my boss. I could make a lot of money if I did this. But what would Jesus do? My, 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 my children have done something that I don't agree with. I'm angry with them. But what would Jesus do? How would he handle this situation? My husband, he's out here. He's, he's talking ugly to me. He's not treating me right. Uh, what would Jesus do? It's a discipleship, emulating him, walking with him. Finally, you get to know him, you listen to what he says, you're learning to be like him and emulate his life. And fourthly, a disciple brings others to, t- to the teacher. I love this aspect. That is, that, the answer to my question, when do I know I'm being su- successful in discipling you? How do you know when you're being successful in discipling your children? How do you know? It is about all four of the three, the first thing. But the last one is they start bringing people to Jesus. When they start emulating Jesus and they start reaching out to the world and start discipling somebody else. You know you're being successful when your child or or the person underneath your discipleship, because I can't disciple all of you. Discipleship's not Sunday school either, may I say. That's a part of it. 
Discipleship is a relationship one-on-one, one-on-two. You guys ever been to an Amway meeting? Come on, raise your hands. The pyramid. You reach two. They reach two. Imagine today if everybody in here had two people under their disciples. You're living like Jesus. You're walking like Jesus. You're talking like Jesus. And if you're a parent, how are many kids you, JP, your discipleship group is growing, brother, all right? All right? Keep it up, buddy. That's one way to grow the church. I pray that every woman in here gets pregnant and has a child if that's what we got to do. Married, married, married wives, by the way. Sorry, let's keep it. All right? But you start just two, okay? I, I, I know I've got to land this plane, but I'm so passionate about it. We're not getting it right. Our church isn't getting it right. According to the statistics, you families aren't getting this right. We have failed for the last 40 plus years to get this right. And it's not some kind of plan. It's not a a discipleship book. It's about walking and talking and being like Jesus and leading them to the foot of the cross. Because why? They can come and see what he's about through your life. That is discipleship. And may I say this, if you're not discipling somebody, then you're not walking the disciples' life. Come and see. What's interesting is Andrew, if I did my research correctly, four times he's mentioned in the New Testament. And all four times he's bringing somebody to Jesus. It's awesome. Philip went and got Nathaniel. You have to come and see. This is the one John the Baptist has been telling us about. Come and see. The problem is, is we can't say that because our lives don't line up with it. Because we're, we're no longer, we live like the world anymore. And here's how we judge it. Well, I'm not really like that person all the way. I mean, look what they do. I don't do all that. And reality is, they're not the standard. Hear me, all right? I'm coming down here, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to baptize some folks. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I'm saying, Follow me as I follow Christ, if this is your home church. I know some of y'all getting real scared. All the guests, no, no, I don't call people out. You're good. She's like, okay, he's coming for me. No. But I'm not your standard. I'm striving to be Jesus. Any of y'all been on the disc golf course with me? You've seen what I do to my disc sometimes. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm still working on it. I still have to apologize to my wife frequently and my children and my parents. Because I, but Jesus is the standard. So if I pray seven times a week and I pray seven times a day, seven times a week, and you, you pray whatever, I'm not your standard. Follow me as I Follow Christ. Come. Come with me. Let's see. Let's see. What are you looking for? You think you know what you're looking for. Because so many of us are driven to the foot of the cross out of need, out of hurt, out of disappointment, out of fear of hell. And that's, if that's what gets you there, fine. But I think when you get there, you're going to find there's so much more. So much more. And he says... Come, walk with me. Talk with me. Tell me about your fears. Tell me about your dreams. I know, but I want you to tell me. Now, let me tell you what I have for you. So much more. So much greater. 
It's about discipleship. I said this last week, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I, I don't know the answer to this. I, I could be terribly wrong. Those statistics, I don't know. I don't know if we can change those. I, I don't know if we can reach Gen X, Y, and Z. I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, we're going to keep striving and, and trying to do this. But we, we, we definitely have to start focusing on our families we have to change the environment in our families, and especially those kids under eight years old. Do you realize that Alpha Gen, that's the next generation that's under eight, is right behind us? I don't want to make this political. You want to know why our nation's in the mess it is? Because the church has failed, the families have failed at home. And when you have a generation that only looks at the world, only 4% looks at the world through a Christian or biblical worldview, that's why we have what we have in our nation today. That's why, we're, that's why we're killing millions of babies before they're ever born. I mean, I don't want to go down the, 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 the Christian checklist. We know what they are, right? That's not what this message is about. It's this message is how do we turn it around? I know. And I said this last week, and, I, and this is it. I know we could have revival. And revival, hey, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, great moves of God, Wesley, Edwards, go read about them. Great moves of God. But it began in the church. It didn't begin in the world. Revival began with those who call themselves Christians. And when we change our lives and we stop living like the world and doing the things that the world and going where the world goes and buying what the world buys, I'm not giving specifics. That's You work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. And we stop being like the world, a lot of that stuff is going to start shutting down and changing. And as we reach one, we'll reach another. Jesus didn't tell you to go out and save the world. He said go out and reach those. I mean, honestly, it's hard to disciple more than two people at any given time to really disciple them until they get mature enough to disciple somebody else. But we can change it, but it's going to begin with us, not with the world. It's not going to happen in Washington. It won't happen to Washington, here we go, until our nation becomes a Christian nation again. And I don't mean just a name. Because that's the theology. A lot of people out there, and you say, well, Pastor, you're being judgmental. I'm just telling you what I see as a pastor. A lot of people pro profess Christ, but they're not disciples. They're not walking like Christ. And I think statistics show that. And so my question or my, what I want you to do today is just evaluate yourself and say, how am I doing as I do life? Am I doing life with Jesus? Not as he doing life with me. Am I following Jesus? How am I doing? Am I taking one step closer to him in my relationship? can't answer that question for you only you can but I pray today that you will work on that say you know what it doesn't matter if I'm at 4.9 I'm not at 5 when we start doing that church you're going to have peace in your home husbands hear me I know I said I'm shutting up I just husbands will love their wife the way Christ loved the church Wives will respect their husbands as they were commanded to do. Our children will grow up in homes. This isn't casting stones, but where mom and dad are together. 
a lot of your troubles will go away if we'll just live the life Jesus has called us to live with him. I know this is somber for a Father's Day message. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. It's a personal journey. I've invited you to come along with me. I have to be obedient to the Lord. Where are you at in your walk with God? How does that reflect in your life? Father, I love you. I do, and I thank you, God, for your spirit moving today and ministering to people in the altars, Lord. I, I'm so thankful for that. God, you never, you never fail to show up. You never seem to, to disappoint, God. And I thank you so much, Lord, for your anointing in this room, Lord, for your word. Now, God, I pray that you help each one of us that's heard it today, even those who are following online this morning, God, as we ask ourselves that question, how are we doing as we walk with you? How are we doing in the discipleship, in the learning process, God? Is there evidence in our lives that show that we're learning how to live like you, Jesus? God, the ultimate test is going to come one day when we stand before you and have to give an account for our lives, God. What we did and didn't do, what we say we didn't say, the good things and the bad things, Lord. How are we doing, God? May every person this morning, as we leave this place, do a self-check, a self-evaluation. Is Jesus Lord of my life? Yes, he's Lord of my life. Yes. Am I walking with him? Am I making my decisions every day based on his word? Am I treating people the way he would treat them? When the temptation comes to look upon a woman inappropriately, do I, do I have a check in my spirit and I back away? When I'm running late for work, do I just try to slip in and, and, and when asked what's, what's going on, just lie because I just overslept? But, Father, how are we doing in the daily, daily integrity areas? When nobody's watching me at home, what am I doing? No eyes are upon me but yours, Father. What kind of conversations am I having, Lord, with other people? What kind of things am I entertaining in my life? What drives me? The reality is, Father, when you invite us into a relationship with you through your Son, we sacrifice everything. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. That's your word. That is your word. And what that means is that we're bought with a price. We're not our own. Our lives are no longer our lives, Father. They're yours. Help us today, God. If you're here this morning, maybe the Holy Spirit's dealing with you and you're not sure what you're feeling, but you know something's happening on the inside and, and you don't know Jesus. You've never, I don't want to get churchy, but you've just basically, you know that you're not living your life for Jesus. You, you, you've never received him as Lord and Savior. You've never invited him into your life. You've never confessed your sins. You've never asking to forgive you of sins. If that's you this morning and you're here as an invitation because you're with your kids, your grandkids, your friend and but that's you, and you're here for a purpose today. God ordered your steps. If that's you today, and you would like to give your life over to Jesus and become a disciple, every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Anybody at all in the room, I don't want to preach a message like this and walk off. And I mean, we've had people, so many people saved in the last couple of weeks, and I thank God for that. And 
I know it's uncomfortable. You say, you're going to put me on the spot. I won't. No, not today. No, I'm not going to put you, anybody on the spot. But I want to pray for you. I want to follow up with you. Anybody at all, quickly. I don't want to scare you. I don't, I really don't. But if I learned anything last Sunday, there's no guarantee when you leave these doors, you're going to see tomorrow. Don't leave here not knowing where you're headed. Okay. Then I'm going to ask a second question with every head bowed and eye closed. How many would raise your hand beside me and say, I sure got to work on my relationship, my discipleship. Confession's good for the soul. Okay. Put them hands down. The great news is you control it. And if you will just, and I hate to say work because work has become a very negative word in the church world because of works and salvation. But let me tell you something. When you're saved, you're expected to work. Work on your works. Work on your labor. Work on that process of being in His Word, praying, and just be, if you have to, ask yourself when you're faced with a difficult situation, or not a difficult situation, just that the Holy Spirit checks you, how would Jesus have me handle this? And I know that sounds so silly, so elementary, but ask yourself that question, and then do it how Jesus would have you do it. Amen. Father, you saw the hands that went up all over this room. I knew they would, God, because my hands was up. And, and Lord, we all could, honestly, we all could work on our relationship, our discipleship, our fellowship our, with, with, with you through your Son, your Holy Spirit. But God, some of them in here, they do need that help. There's nothing about their lives at time reflect that of Jesus. And I ask, Father, that you help them. Help them, God. In Jesus' name as they cry out to you and you say, come and see. Lord, you've invited us into a totally different world, a totally different life, God, than what we've known. Come and see. Come and see. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'm going to invite those who are going to be baptized, if you would, just sit right up here next to Miss Summer. These folks that we're baptizing today, we're about to, those earlier, those children, they made the confession. They said, I'm, I'm following Jesus. And they're walking in obedience to follow his, his example by being baptized today. Some wonderful testimonies of how God's changed a whole family. How God has come to life in a young man uh, who, who's just in middle school. And then we have a young lady up here who has struggled. She struggled. But yet God, but God, but God came and got her attention. It's awesome. It's awesome. Amen? It's awesome. Let's baptize them. Miss Summer? Oh, excuse me, Jacob first. We'll go by age. Come on up here, buddy. All right, don't be prideful. Let me help you here, all right? The good news is, Jacob, the kids went before you. It is a lot warmer. I don't want to tell you why, okay? Do y'all know that God has a sense of humor? Do you know that? Look at me. How can he not with a face like me and a life like me and a body like me? Amen. Jacob, do you love Jesus? And you've given your life to him? And you're committed to following him the rest of your life? Would you like to give any kind of testimony? Okay. You just want to get out? 
Is it cold? All right. Go ahead and cover. There you go. Jacob, just hug yourself right here, buddy. There you go. Your profession of faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the way back. Amen. Amen. James, would you help me with him? I can't pick him up like I did those other little, well, those other children. By the way, if I call your kids brats, I'm loving them. I call my kids brats because they are. Come on. We all spoiled our kids. Come on. It's all, in, it's all in fun. Yeah, they fight me. I told them I've never lost. I only lost one person baptizing them, but I found them a few minutes later, but they fight me all the time going down. Amen. Miss Summer, I call her everything but summer. I've called her winter, spring, fall. But the, the seriousness of this event, I'm going to call her Summerlin because that's her given name. as cold as you thought it was. At least it's not outside, right? Summer, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You committed to living your life, walking in fellowship with Him, doing life the way He wants you, and, and, and following His plans for you. He's got great things for you in life. I'm speaking that over you. It's your choice to follow Him. Would you like to share a testimony of anything with the folks? Okay. Go ahead and hold your nose. Hey, can you scoot over here a little bit? Thank you. There we go. Summerlin, your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Very slippery. Amen. This young man's name is, is cold. I, th I feel the spirit coming on him, right? Yes, Lord. Mm. <laughs> Y'all forgive me for my sense of humor. This is James. Young man, I've, I've, I've seen him when he was a young guy and kind of parted ways. And God's brought him back into my life and me into his life. It's not just him. It's his whole family. It's the real deal. James, have you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? You can, you can uh, live your life according to his plan for your life. Be the husband he's called you to be. Be the father he's called you to be. The son. Amen. Your dad's here, isn't he? Randy, good to see you. Brother Jim McCusker's here. Good to see you folks with us. Would you like to share a testimony of any kind? You can't do it? <laughs> I think, I think your tears are testimony enough. Go ahead and if you'll. Now you might need to scoot up a little bit. Don't fight me, okay? I've got you. I promise. It's not deep enough to drown. Your profession of faith in Jesus Christ is my privilege, young man, to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Straight back. I love you, man. I love you, brother. It's a journey, right? We're on it together. I'm going to chase you. You dare leave the doors of this. Anyways, never mind. We'll talk later. This is, this is 
Oh, how sweet. I love it when a family comes. Now, I, won't, I know you won't lie to me. It's not that cold, is it? I even put some hot water in there this morning. This is Melanie. This is James' wife. And the mother of Grace Lee that we baptized earlier. Matter of fact, there, no, that's not her. Where'd she go? That's her. Okay. I'm just using black. Okay. They came as a family a couple weeks ago, came to VBS and just fallen in love with, I believe, with our church as we've fallen in love with them and rededicated their lives to the Lord. And you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're going to live for him every day till eternity and then some. You're going to be the wife your husband needs. Pray for him. He needs it. He's a McCusker. <laughs> and emulate the love of Christ for your daughters. They're going to learn from you what it means to be a godly woman, a godly mom, a godly wife. Amen. Would you like to share a testimony? Excited to start this new journey. Isn't that awesome? If you would, just there you go. Remember, I'm not going to lose you. Just relax. Your profession in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's cold. You know, maybe we ought to do baptism in the Holy Spirit after we baptize people because they already got the stammering lips. God bless you folks. Church, this is what it's about. Reaching the lost, making disciples. Amen? You are the salt. You are the light. What fool would be light and hide it under a bushel? How can you hide a city that's lit, that's on the hillside? You can't. Those are rhetorical questions. You can't. Let your light shine for all men. That they will see your good works. Your good works. And your good works. And your good works. And then they what? They glorify your Father in heaven. Stand to your feet all across this building. Father, I thank you, God, for what you've done in our midst today, God, the miracles that are taking place in our altar, God, that change and transform lives of those, Father, who have professed you today as Lord and Savior and been baptized according to your word. Lord, we rejoice, we celebrate, Lord, we celebrate our fathers, God. Thank you so much for dads, God, who have spoken into our lives, especially godly dads. And Lord, I know today there are some whose hearts are heavy because their dads are no longer with them. So God, today, as your word says, you are the father to the fatherless, Lord. It's not that they don't have a father. He's no longer with them. Today, God, fill their, their, their presence with your presence today, God. Oh, and just love on them today, God. We thank you for it. Now, Father, go with us and keep us, Lord. Lord, may you make your countenance, Lord, turn to us, God. You be merciful. May you smile upon us, God, and bring us the peace that passes all understanding, God. And as we leave here today, may we be reminded, Lord, that your name is written upon us. We do not belong to ourselves. We're bought with a price. We belong to you. And Lord, may we go in that knowledge and in that power of your Holy Spirit, God. Nothing the enemy brings against us will prosper. And yet, Lord, we can go where the, and face the enemy straight on, God. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hug a neck, hang, shake a hand, greet somebody. Dads, don't forget as you leave to get your water bottle. Amen. Thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. 
Have a great week.